and we are live from the empire of lies, a liberty-loving oasis of free speech and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the Biden era of disaster. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So it's a Friday, it was a short week. We had Monday off due to the 4th of July, and we had a bunch of great shows this week, and we had a bunch of great calls this week, and we're closing it out on a high point. I'm very happy to have Rod has booked two great guests. In the first hour, Rod, correct me if I'm wrong, but Daniel McAdams, correct? Correct. Straight out of the Ron Powell Institute of Peace and Prosperity. Am I correct? That's right. And I would not be surprised if he was at the Freedom Fest that Comrade Missy was at in Vegas. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised either. I'll ask him about it. And I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. Did you notice the new thing in the intro saying the freedom, the liberty-loving oasis? Did you notice that part? Yeah, I did notice that. So I need something like that. I'm going with liberty-loving for now. I, I don't, you know, labeling myself... Everyone talks about the negativity of labeling yourself, right? Everybody says, oh, I don't believe in labels. But in fact, we live in a world that thrives on labels. The people who are easily labeled all have big platforms. And of course, I want to grow this platform and I want more people listening to the show. So I need an easy hook people can hang itself on. But I don't know what to call myself because I consider myself a libertarian in some ways, but I consider myself a conservative in some ways. Do you identify with that, Rod? Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Lee. Uh, so you got to label yourself. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying. For instance, I'm, I'm in favor of liberty, but within rational limits. And if that sounds contradictory, I guess you've never had kids. I like weed, for instance, but I wouldn't have a 10-year-old weed Wednesday. Does that make sense? I wouldn't do the equivalent of drag queen shows with weed for 10-year-olds. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't approve of that either, so. And I, I was thinking about this. I'll talk about this after the break. Let's say who is in the second hour We're closing the second hour, closing the week with the way we normally start the week. A Carmine Monday on Friday, because we did not have Carmine, because Monday was a holiday. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. So, yeah, my girlfriend and I were talking about, uh, you know, the... We were specifically talking about the Q part of the LGBTQ thing. And, you know, the Q part in my day, and you're a little young for this, but you probably remember it. Remember, we had a a very queer person 
who we didn't care about, and they didn't make a big political deal of it. Remember someone named David Bowie? Yeah, I remember him. And I don't think you can get more authentically queer than David Bowie. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. At, at, in terms of dress and attitude, Bowie, he would wear women's clothes. And sometimes, did you have you seen the video that he's blue in? Yeah, we talked about that in a previous show, and I, and I ended up watching it, yeah. Yeah, he's he's painted blue. You know, you can't get more odd than that. But there was not a big deal about David Bowie, and people from all across the spectrum, all kinds of people like David Bowie, jocks like David Bowie, and everybody. But you know what I mean by when I say he didn't make a big deal deal of it. He didn't hide being that way, but because he was artistic and had good songs. And a lot of these people now, you see the libs of TikTok, and I'll put it like that. David Bowie was not a school librarian. He didn't work at a Barnes and Noble. You see the difference, Rod? Yeah, he was making music for adults. Well at least, you know, I guess you could say teenagers, but at least, but more, more, more than likely uh, adults. And Bowie was also acting. He's m- many things. David Jones is his name. But David Bowie uh, actually did things. Aside from the libs of TikTok people, part of the problem of TikTok and Twitter and YouTube and everything is now, Rod, Everybody thinks they're celebrity. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Lee, uh, I would, you know, you could ask some ex-girlfriends of mine. But, yeah, I saw this coming a long time ago that, uh, you know, I played football. So, you know, um, you know, you would get ranked if you were uh, in the nation or your area. So, you know, even back then, this is, you know, there was no there was a, YouTube was his infancy. You know, we used to all look up and see if we were ranked. And, you know, how we were ranked in the region and stuff like that. So I already knew what was coming a long time ago. But the rankings are somewhat objective. In other words, it's not you ranking yourself. Imagine if if, if I said, I'm a big football player, Rod, and you said, well, how's your ranking? And I said, well, I rank myself on SoundCloud. Would you see the problem there? Yeah, exactly, exactly, Lee. And yeah, tic- I think TikTok and even Instagram, I think they're so remedial that, that it's making people um, dumber. Um, and they, they think they're getting smarter from the information they get. You know, if, you, if you're having full conversations about a two or a minute and a half video you saw on TikTok, uh, you know, you really didn't learn anything. You know what I mean? You're just, you thought you learned something. That's right. And so these people, and what I really don't like about the modern queers, shall we say, because I see people sometimes in their rainbow flag shirts or whatever, and they're talking on TikTok, and they're talking about they're queer. And do you know what that means to me? My, 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 the way I translate that is they want to hang out with gay people, but they're not gay themselves. Does that make sense? Like, they want to they want to show they're cool and hang with the people, 
but they don't want to engage in the same sex uh, sex, for lack of a better term. They they don't want to actually, if they're a woman, they don't want to go downtown, shall we say, but they want to go downtown to the bars and hang out. And uh, well, Lee, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hit you, uh, hit you back on that one. Did you see the Rhode Island senator Tierra Mack, who was uh, doing a handstand and twerking for votes? She came out. Yes. You know, she's a black queer, and she, her girlfriend was the one who uh, videotaped that. So you know, she she likes to go both downtowns. Yes, and and what he's talking about is this woman from Rhode Island, and she's elected, right? Yeah, she, she wants to stay in power. So she, she this is for her next uh, election cycle, which is in November, I believe. And she has a skill not many politicians do. She can do a headstand and clap her ass cheeks. I don't – is that what she's doing there? Yeah, she's she's uh, moving her bottom. Uh, and, she's, uh, yeah. Now, Jerry Nadler does not look good doing that. They said – so she does have one skill. Most politicians, Nancy Pelosi, things might fall off. Am I right? Be afraid, Rod. But she decided it was a good idea as an elected politician to show that she can do a headstand and twerk. And why did she decide that was a good idea, Rod? Oh. I could I could name a number of things, but I would say it's probably desperation. Lee, she probably sees the writing on the wall that she's not going to win her next election cycle. So she's appealing to two different, no, multiple groups, men that she probably wouldn't even talk to because she considers herself queer slash lesbian, and also women of the uh, uh, who she would find her attractive. So she's you know desperate for votes. You know what what else would she be saying? Shaking, you know, in a bikini, shaking her butt and talking about votes. She see, she's desperate. Yes. And I did see that. Uh, that was on Lips or TikTok, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, all, it was all over Twitter. Everybody was commenting on it. And she's d- tripled down on it. She twerks for abortion. She twerks for you name it. She'll twerk for anything. She, you can just look on her Twitter. Yeah. And meanwhile, now, did you see... At the other end of the serious spectrum, did you see the meeting that Vladimir Putin had with their bunch of people around the table and Putin was talking to them? That's the way it would have looked if you'd seen it. Did you see any of that? Yeah, Lee, you know, I saw the statement where he said, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to misquote it, but pretty much he was saying that, uh, you know, if if you think that uh, Russia has done anything with their military, you know, think again, you know, they, they, haven't, they haven't unleashed anything yet. They haven't even started, he, he said. And he also said significantly, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically, if you think we're out of ammunition, you want, you want to fight? Okay. We're ready for that. Did you see that part where Putin was basically saying, do you want to fight? Okay. That's, that's newly paraphrased. Right. No, um, you know, we've been talking about this for monthly. Um, you know, Russia has stopped playing games uh, with everybody, with Europe, with America, with the West. Um, and they're, they're serious. And, you know, we're not serious. We're over here, you know, in the military talking about uh, the same thing you started off the show, talking about queerness, LGBTQ. We're not seriously training our military 
for anything to close to what Russia would be able to bring. You know what I'm saying? They have a tank. We're twerking for abortion. That was summing up. And and Putin, as Brave said, and it was one of the best statements I'd, I'd heard on this whole war, Putin don't play. And it's true. Putin's not playing. So while the Western media runs this story every few weeks, that Russia's about to run out of ammo. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, yeah. And I've been, I've been for for no apparent reason on YouTube. I've been watching a lot of Mike Tyson's old fights and old press conferences before his fights, and a lot of people, like Tyson famously said, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face. But I noticed a lot. There's some people who like talking smack to Mike Tyson before the fight. Then once he gets in the ring and starts punching him, they start leaning into him in the clinch and saying, you know, I respect you. Yeah, I respect you. And Tyson would be a little calmer after the fight, except for the ones he bit their ear. Okay, he was not calm then. But Tyson had to put up with a lot of stuff from people talking smack before the fight. But the fact is, he knew he could deliver, especially in the 80s. I love watching Tyson in the 80s. He was just, a, he was ferocious, absolutely ferocious. And uh, do you know what I'm getting with Tyson? Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, uh, fighters used to make fun of the way he talked. Uh, they try to make him seem like he was stupid. Mike Tyson's actually a really smart guy. He's a historian. Uh, he knows a lot. Of, he knows a lot. Uh, he could quote, I mean... If he ever would ever come on the show, I think you know, people would be surprised. Um, but yeah, no, especially in the '80s, like you said, Russia has tanks. Mike Tyson was an American tank, and he was just running over everybody at at that time. And and Putin's point is, every few weeks, the media in America likes running the following story: Russia's almost out of ammo. They have three days of ammo left. Have you seen that story many times, over and over again? Yeah, Lee. Um, actually, I see it because of my alerts on my phone. Maybe every f- four days. Not as much lately. I guess they've been uh, the media has been running out of that ammo. Of uh, keep saying that, but um, I yeah, saw it last week. Just, just so you know. Okay, cool. And just to let you know, uh, we got um, Tarif and we got Ingrid on the line. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks, Rod. So let's go two hundred two five two one thirteen twenty. Tarif, get ready for the weekend. What's on your mind? Thank you, um, y'all, for taking my um, call. First, I'd like to say free Julian Assange. I want to talk about the assassination that happened this morning. Um, just like I said on earlier today on the Fort Lines Radio, on my show on your show, I think I'm going to dial deep in, into the conspiracy. I think the global is, is desperate, and we're and we, we going to have a hot summer. The, the summer's about to get hot. We're going to have Many things like that happen from from now on all the way to November, where you're going to have maybe assassinations and assassination attempts. Where the deep state, excuse me, the government is so is so afraid that they lose in Ukraine that they might lose everything because they had 200 years of ruling. Now, because they lose in power, they want to focus on Russia and China and get as many people on their side. 
to 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 fight those people or to like sing some China or sing some Russia. They have rumors now circulating on the internet with um uh uh Lira Lira was was in tweeting out about what other people was doing and Michael Tracy. They got rumors circulating that oh like Jasper Serpic tweeted out something that it was the Chinese behind it, and him and two other people. And also, uh, they're trying to equate that to 1914 for, um, uh, uh, front name assassination. That's, that All of this is dangerous. What is going to lead to World War III, you know? So the, 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 the globalists is losing, and they're getting rid of their own people to try to gain leverage of sympathy. And get, and get people in Japan in a warm state of mind or South Korea. And I'm afraid that they're going to start launching out of other people that's leaning to the East or people that's, that's globalist that they might not have no need for anymore. So what I'm saying is this, the Biden administration, the Democrats and Republicans in the United States and, El- and diplomats all over the world, prime ministers and, and presidents, what they have to do now they have to double the security or even triple the security because now the deep state is, getting, is, is desperate. And I'm afraid that they might try to do something here. We might have many 9-11 taking place here up until September. So they got to do something to stop this. And hopefully we got a free Julian sign. He seems like he's the only man that would probably leak out information about the John F. Kennedy murders and the Epstein list and everything else. Well, that can he can probably save, help save society. Thank y'all for taking my call. Well, thanks, Sharif. We didn't mention yet. Obviously, we're going to get to it, but we figured our audience. We're in the afternoon. You probably know, De- former Deputy Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated in Nara, Japan, and w- they have a suspect, and apparently. He was in the military in some way, but that's all we know. And I did see what Gonzalo said about Jack Posobiec. Did you see that Jack did come out and blame the Chinese immediately? Yeah, I did see that, Lee. And you know, I don't, it's not even like, I know that Jack Posobiec is an agent, but And I, I, I think it's of the neocons. For sure, he's an agent of the neocons. And he fools people in the same way my old boss, Steve Bannon, does. Steve will be in speeches and he'll talk about how he doesn't like neocons. But Steve is a neocon. And Steve brought Bolton into the White House. And he used me to help him bring Bolton into the White House because I've talked about it before, but I'm going to say it again so everyone knows I'm very specific on this. Before I hosted this show, I got my start in radio on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on Breitbart News. And I started first as a guest and then co-hosting. And I was brought in to guest host sometimes. And on Thursdays, and when I would host a show, I would always pick my own guest. Except on Thursdays, said, 
you've got to bring on John Bolton. And I said, what? They said, Thursday is Bolton Day here at Sirius XM on Breitbart. I said, what? They said, that's the rule. It's Bolton Day. You need to bring Bolton on. And so I brought Bolton on, and I was polite to him as I tried to be polite to all guests. But that told me what was going on. Bannon was bringing on Bolton in order to normalize him. Because here's the thing. In the same way that I, I, we didn't bring Bolton. We brought Bolton on, and I didn't attack him on the air because I, I wasn't the host. And they told me I had to have him on. So it was clear to me that my job was not to bring him on to attack him. But I can bring any guest on for 15 minutes and not fight with them and make them seem likable to an audience, play into their strengths and where there's lack of disagreement. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, uh, you've had uh, Bill Ayers on uh, fault lines before a couple times, and then you know you don't you don't get uh, confrontational with him. And uh, I would believe you don't agree with what he did. You know, I don't. I agree had with Sergei, Sergei Leschenko. Uh, that's another good example. I had a guy in Ukraine who worked for Soros on this show, and I I gave him some hard questions, but I was polite to him and nice to him and everything else. And so you normalize, if I had Leschenko on every week, there should be a problem with that. So he brought Bolton on every week to normalize him to the bright, broad audience. And specifically, when I found out later that Bannon was the one who brought Bolton into the White House, I read that in reports. It didn't shock me at all. So, Jack, who the hell was Jack Pasovic six years ago, Rod? Who had ever heard of him? Just uh, just a kid from the Philadelphia area, so I don't know who else would have heard of, heard of him. Right. So, so, basically, he came came out of nowhere. Now he has some a million six followers, something like that. A huge number of followers. And on what accomplishments? In fact, he was involved with Pizzagate, right? He's def he's been a pal of Mike Cernovich, who lied about his role in the Epstein story. Jack Posobiec has no one asked where the hell does this guy get a million followers? And I'm telling you. It, it's very clear who's been funding him. People like Jeff Gesia, who worked with NATO. Jeff Gesia was behind the deplorable. ball. He's the millionaire behind the deplorable. ball. And I have a big article on that over at populist.tv. Anyone can read it. And as a journalist, click the links. I show everything. You've, you've clicked the links, Rod. It's conclusively proven Jeff Gesia was behind Deplorable, right? Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. 
And no one who went to the poor bowl knew who Jeff Kesey was. They thought that was Mike Cernovich and Jack Posobiec, right? Yeah, they thought he was just a regular, you know, deplorable, I guess, at, 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 the, at, the, at the party. And uh, just a quick reminder, we still have Angry on the line. And when I say it's clear Jack was on the payroll with Gisia, look up Rev 18, the PAC, and he was on the payroll. He got paid something like $15,000 for whatever he did. And I pointed this out for a while. And so Gonzalo pointing out that Posobiec was out there pushing. I have no reason to believe China was behind the assassination of Shinzo Abe. Do you, Rod? Um, no, Lee, I don't have any. Um, I, my, you know, my theory is this is a frustrated uh, Japanese citizen um, who just didn't like Abe. Uh, Japan's been under strict lockdowns. My cousin just came back. He's in the Air Force. He had to do a month over there and under they've been under strict lockdown for the past two and a half years yeah let me get quickly to ingrid who's been patiently waiting 202-521-1320 ingrid what's on your mind i'm happy to wait because you're behind this the screen information is the best but uh, i want to make an announcement as you know uh the president of mexico lopez obrador has made uh, strong statements of support for Julian Assange. And he is going to be in D.C. visiting with Biden on Tuesday. This is this is Biden's consolation prize. This is a result of AMLO stiffing him at the Some of the Americas Summit. Anyway, the uh, D.C. Action for Assange group is going to be presenting a letter of thanks from the national organization AssangeDefense.org to uh, Lopez Obrador at the Mexican embassy on Tuesday. Uh, the tentative plan, we're going to meet in a little park about a block from there on Pennsylvania Avenue at noon, gather, and then make this presentation. But we're going to stay a little flexible because we don't exactly know what his itinerary is yet, but we certainly will, by Monday, we'll have updates and there will be updates on the Twitter uh, account, which is Assange Action DC. So we're uh, really looking forward to that. We're going to have some speakers. Randy Credico is coming down from New York. There, there will be others. There will be uh, the Statue of Liberty in person with her passport. So um, if you all are in the DC area, come on down and stay tuned. Thanks for that announcement, Ingrid, and I hope people go out and, and do do what she's asking, because last night uh, I took my Assange activism seriously. In honor of AMLO, my girlfriend and I went to a Mexican restaurant at midnight, because it's only at midnight. That's not true. But I did, I did have a burrito, and it was very delicious. So I'll post event say that I did it for Assange and to support AMLO by having a burrito. And it, but you can do more useful activism. Listen to Ingrid. Let's take a short break. Wait, do, do we have Daniel? Okay. Thanks very much, Command Central. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're joined by the great 
Daniel McAdams from the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity on the backstory. back on the backstory and on the radio in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C., 105.5 FM, AM 1390, bringing the truth to the airwaves around Washington, D.C., and seeing if they can withstand it. Joining us now, a great guest on a Friday and a great guest in general any day is the great Daniel McAdams from the Rob Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Hey, Lee, it's great to hear you back in the saddle, man. Well, it's a, it's technically a gaming chair. I'm not cool enough for saddle, but thanks, Daniel. So were you, in fact, Ron, Ron and I were talking about you before you came on. Were you, in fact, in the heat of Las Vegas at Freedom Fest last weekend? No, I did not go to Freedom Fest. The last time I was in Vegas was the last year. So no, I'm afraid I did not participate. Okay, that's that's good to know. Then I I don't I I felt slightly bad that I missed it. Not as bad as I felt when I was in South Dakota, where I am, and missed it. But it was several hours away because South Dakota is a very big state. But Daniel, so let me ask you. I, I, I've got a question about before we talk about the issues of the day. In my libertarian midlife crisis, let me ask you. So I was an old school teenage libertarian, Clark Coke libertarian, 1980, mm-hmm. back in the day. And now I'm sort of in trying to label myself and identify myself. I find myself identifying with a lot of libertarian ideas that I've held for 40 years. I still agree with a lot of those ideas, but I'm also slightly influenced as because I'm an adult by the more adult, the, I'll call it conservative aspects. I don't mean full on conservatives because I still like weed, for instance, <laughs> but I tr- I try to be a responsible human being. As an adult, you know, uh, as I said to Rod, I like weed, but I wouldn't have my kids, my my eight, my twelve year old around weed. Does that make sense? That makes sense, probably. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> right. I see what you're saying. And so is so so the it seems like the term libertarian is even fallen out of repute. With a lot of libertarians, what terms do you use to describe what you believe politically, Daniel? My pronouns are. (laughs) Yeah, don't go there, but. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, it's really hard. I've never really considered myself that label. And I know that Dr. Paul uses the label probably. And and he said, you know, for basically lack of better term, it's kind of convenient shorthand. You know, um, his view is certainly would be considered classical liberal. But, you know, in the U.S., that's has a different connotation. 
but I've never really embraced that term. And I don't really embrace any term um, because for me, it seems like some of the concepts of libertarianism or what passes for libertarianism are more like a means to an end for me. You know, the idea that you should reject the initiation of force, uh, for example, is a big one. Uh, and the state is force writ large. And so opposing the, the overwhelming, overarching power of the state in our lives, in my philosophy, always has been if that, if that is achieved, then we have more space for the things that we care about. And for some, it may be a religion. Um, for some, it may be weed. And that's fine, right? Um, right. Uh, the, the one impediment for us living lives to the fullest enjoyment is an overarching state that wants to, lately at least, care with corporations to further restrict our ability to to express ourselves, to have freedom of expression and, and freedom of assembly. So every every part of America that sucks, you see the state right there in the middle of it saying, I did that, you know? That's right. And, and I, you know, the broad philosophy that I'll define as sex, drugs, and rock and roll you know, as a teenage libertarian, I like that philosophy. But now, sex, drugs, and rock and roll have been ruined by liberals. These people who say they're the bad, put it like this, they, even with the woke ideology, ruined rock and roll. When Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young are on the wrong side of free speech, something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Do you see what I'm getting at? Daniel. Yeah, no, I mean, we grew up kind of in the same era, Lee, you know, and I was when I was in high school, we were in punk rock bands. And, you know, the whole the whole ethos of that was, you know, screw the establishment. We'll make our own music. It may not be super great sometimes, but we'll make our own. And we don't like authorities. We don't like people telling us what to do. And you're right. I mean, the pop music, the rock music of today and now even the 60s the liberals who are who are spouting off is basically like, Hurt me more, Daddy. Hurt me more, you know, to the state. So it's pretty sad when you see that. No, exactly right. And I will say that rock stars who've maintained some sanity are Johnny Lydon, Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols. He's out there saying some good stuff. And Morrissey from the Smiths. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Good for him. Yeah, Morrissey was, they were, the woke people were against him. And one of his concerts in D.C., it was like half empty. Wow. And he, but John Lydon, you remember, he was on the Jay Leno show with Dr. Paul. You remember that? Yeah, that was great. That was such a great moment. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Daniel. Childhood hero. I was working. I was working at NBC at the time on Access Hollywood, and I spoke to Johnny Lydon after that event. He was out by the elephant doors getting a smoke, and I I got a picture with him, and I explained to him who Ron Paul was. He didn't know when he was on the show, and I explained to Johnny Lydon broadly. I said, "You you don't really have libertarians in England. Because there's nothing exactly like libertarians in England. So I take some credit for ex- explaining, you know, as a guy who's a fan of, of Dr. Paul and Johnny Lydon, I gave him the explanation. 
So I got that going for me, which is nice. That's a, that's a chapter in the autobiography there, man. That is really awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I did find him a cigarette, too, because he, he needed one. But uh, <laughs> but so how how are things going? What have you been focusing on on your podcast with Dr. Paul? What, what are you the what's the big t- topics? Well, you know, there's a whole lot of suck going on, you know, because it's the same old, same old. And it's, it's hard to not um, t- it's hard to, to to not lose, you know, optimism because the same crap is happening. The same pro-war Neocon propaganda is pushing us toward a war with Russia over Ukraine. Ukraine is a crisis manufactured by the neocons on the left and right in the U.S. And the supine European nobodies, particularly the young chickies who are running uh, most of most of Scandinavia. Um, And again, it's like Iraq on steroids, because if you dare say, oh, well, you know, this is a this is a crisis. This is a disaster uh, for which we for which our government has a huge responsibility. It's you are an evil scumbag who wants people to die. How dare you call yourself a libertarian? And even a lot of libertarians are saying, well, let me just start by saying I absolutely condemn by a thousand points, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? It, it, you know, it's the same interventionist impulse, whereas. A true non-interventionist would say, let's take a look at what's, what would cause this problem and let's deal with what we can do to help solve it. So, you know, here's one. I don't know if you saw this, Lee, but um, but Joe Serencione, who was with the Quincy people, uh, that's the Coke Soros funded group that supposedly uh, is in, within the beltway telling people that we should have more responsible statecraft and restraint, he actually quit his position on the board because he was upset that not every Quincy scholar was in favor of war with Russia. They actually allowed a few people to say, well, hang on a minute. Is this such a great idea? So, you know, I, I just hate this. You know, it's it, it, it's kind of I, I, I'm, I know you feel the same way, Lee. I just get tired of five years down the road. Everyone's saying, wow, we sure didn't see that coming, you know, because a lot of us do and did. Yes, I, I thought this in the past few years. You, you of course, were a post, post-9-11 to the Patriot Act, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was my baptism of fire when I went to work for Dr. Paul. And, and that's not a surprise to me. And I thought in the past few years— the people who were against the Patriot Act during COVID-19 were proven to be on the right side. The people who opposed the Patriot Act were prescient. And we saw a lot of it play out in the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Didn't we? Absolutely, you know. And, and, and people like Dr. Paul were warning around the time of the Patriot Act, this is going to be turned on us and used on us. And we found out from, from Snowden in 2013, that well, that's exactly what happened, you know. Yes. Now, and again, with the the COVID nineteen thing, it was a way that you couldn't have predicted when the Patriot was being passed. You couldn't have said, "Well, someday we could have a pandemic and people will be forced to stay home," but the kind of things they were warning about against the Patriot Act are the kind of things we see 
came up over and over again. Now, uh, when you look at the situation today, and you're right, the war has had one good effect. Clearly, it's brought out the true natures of some people's personalities and what they value. Would you agree with that? I think it definitely has. And it also has reinforced the idea that there's a herd mentality that people who, you know, even people who call themselves independent minded uh, will rush for the exit doors when they feel like they might, you know, they might, their careers might be in danger by saying things that are not considered, you know, within the politically correct line. So, yes, indeed, indeed it does. It, it, it washes everything out. Now, what do you think of the term imperialist to describe neocons as a relative synonym? Do you use the term imperialist to describe people? It, it tends to be a leftist term, but I'm increasingly enamored of it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I tend to think of the imperialists as the left, as the left liberals who, who, will, who will couch their same authoritarian instincts in the humanitarian mantle, you know, whereas a lot of the neocons would just say, yeah, we're going to blow your crap up because we can and we want to. And we're going to tell you how to live for your own darn good. Uh, you know, the, the, the um, left imperialists will say, you know, we'll, we'll sort of sugarcoat it, I think, a little bit. And that's an oversimplification. But that's sort of generally how I think about it. And. You mentioned Dr. Paul likes the term classical liberal, and I understand why he likes that term. But my other concern there is that the neocons and imperialists have kind of co-opted the term. You heard Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, recently say they're protecting the liberal New World Order, right? Yeah, yeah and also the head of, uh, of Biden's economic advisors team said, you know, we, uh, how long are we going to have to put up with these high gas prices? You're going to have to do it as long as it takes because we're protecting the liberal world order, you know? So shut up, Joe truck driver, you know, suck it up. What's wrong with you? Are you some kind of Putin lover? You know, uh, these people are so out of touch. You're right. They, they, they do adopt that term and it's difficult. I mean, labels are always very difficult. I mean, it's hard to, for me to identify with probably at least half of people who call themselves libertarians, and a good 80% of those I actively despise. So, there are Okay, now, now, can you, without getting yourself in trouble, name which, ha broadly speaking, which type of libertarian is in the half you, you don't agree with? Well, a lot of it's just geolocation, right? So basically any libertarian who positions him or herself within the beltway is automatically is automatically suspect. You know, there's no question about it um, because, you know, they have an audience. They, they, they continue to operate under this fantasy that they're going to somehow change the minds of policymakers and affect change from above. And, you know, the Ron Paul Institute and other friends like the Mises Institute um, – their view is we have to change the culture. We have to change things from below. We have to convince people of the value of our positions, and then the leadership will come to reflect the changed value of people. So our audience are the people who come to our conferences and listen to our daily Ron Paul Liberty Report. Um, and when we tell them the benefits 
uh, of a non-interventionist foreign policy, of self-reliance, et cetera. And that's our goal. And so we don't have to adapt our philosophy uh, to to please uh, you know a couple of deep deep pocket donors, uh, which a lot of the organizations do. You know when you're when you look at your check and it's signed by Coke and Soros, that says a lot about what you're going to be free to say and not to say, right? Right. Now, if I, if I said if I talk to you about the masters of working people, I sound like a commie, right? That's the kind of phrasing that people on the left use. But I find myself talking about the masters of working people as a libertarian because I'm looking at the truckers in Canada and the farmers in the Netherlands, and I don't know what to call those. There's a lot of them, and they do work. They're, they're the masses of working people. But I think that libertarians appeal to one group who never – come up in the leftist lexicon, it's entrepreneurs. So although I I respect and I think we should harness the power of the large groups of men and women who work for a living and do hard jobs like farming and trucking, and I think you'd agree with that, Daniel, right? Absolutely. You know, the, 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 that's the, the amazing thing that Trump, for all of his faults, was able to do. He was able to turn the tables on all the left, which has you know, consistently appealed to the working man. The Democratic Party consistently, for generations, appealed to the working man, or at least for decades, and turn the tables on them because they have changed. They don't care about that. They're party of the elites. And Trump was able to tap into the blue collar and, to a large extent, minorities in America, working minorities. Um, and so, again, for all his faults, and we could have a like, four-hour conversation about that, that was pretty miraculous to identify um, this huge group of Americans who have no political home. But I think we – well, is it fair to say that we're liberty-loving Americans? We're you know not libertarian, but let's go with liberty-loving. We combine, I think – Respect for the working people and want to harness that power, but also respect for entrepreneurs and artists who are really working artists are entrepreneurs. Would you agree with that, Daniel? Absolutely. And, and I think the way to appeal to them is to explain to them how basically the other half of their money is being stolen from them to do things they hate. You know, and a lot of these people are socially conservative. Um, hey, hey, half your money is going to kill babies or whatever. You know, or kill people overseas. How do you like that? Um, you know, so uh, definitely that's the case. And you know, there is a strong, particularly when you talk about some of the populist libertarians. You talk about Jeff Dyson at Mises Institute and Lou Rockwell. They're, they're everything they write and say has a deep moral undertone. It's not this hard-edged. You know, market is God. It's it's culture. It's society. And I think there's a big vein, and you can call them populist libertarians, whatever you want to call them, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, and uh, I think that's where the energy is. I hope that's where the energy is, because certainly that's where my sympathies lie. And I think that when you look at those, the, the working people plus the entrepreneurs and artists, and artists, by the way, I'm, I'm not using it in a frou-frou sense, 
if, if, if you're out there and you have a YouTube channel and you're earning money from it, I consider you an artist. Does that make sense? I, it's not a bunch of beret-wearing cheese-eaters. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Getting at Daniel. Are you being mean to Hunter Biden, the greatest painter in the history of America? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and uh, and also a drug user, but he's not a libertarian ideal. I mean, he's an example of the spoiled children of the political elite. What happens to them? Right. Exactly. And I think <laughs> it's fair to say. And when you hear people talk about crony capitalism as capitalism, I see this on the left all the time. They'll talk about something and they'll talk about it as capitalism. And it's not capitalism. It's a crony part that's a problem. The Burisma thing is not an ex example of laissez-faire capitalism. Right, Daniel? He did not have a lot to bring to the market. He did have some skills. And if you saw some of that video of him in his uh, deprivation tank or whatever it was, there were some skills there, but I don't know that they're very saleable skills. <laughs> and and one of the things I've said recently about the current era we live in, while I can point out, and you can too, all the problems in the, the, the current age, in many senses, there's never been a better time to be alive if you want to own your own business or start your own business. I would argue there's never been a better time where you can do things independently. Like everyone now, despite YouTube censorship, can start their own newspaper. You don't need a TV tower. Things you would have required 25 years ago. Everyone's walking around with a camera in their pocket. So. Do you think, and I really think one of the, the dangerous areas now is that liberty-loving people can, can give in to cynicism and pessimism. Do you see that where people get too depressed and don't realize the opportunity they have today? Well, I fight that myself. I'll be quite honest with you. It's easy to get disillusioned when you look around and see what's happening to look around and see the kinds of people that they get ahead. I'm pretty lucky though. I have like a, every day I spend an hour with Ron Paul and I'm telling you, he's, he's, I don't talk to him about my feelings, but I can tell you that he's a real therapist because his optimism is always so contagious. Uh, and even when I'm feeling down, he's got a smile. He says something funny. He tries to find the silver lining and everything. And, you know, I guess for me, I just try to be more like him. I don't want to sound like I'm fanboying it, but it's true. I mean, that optimism is great and it keeps you, it keeps you getting up every morning. You know, he's, he doesn't need to do this. Um, he's achieved everything that, you know, and more that people would achieve in a lifetime, but he still gets up and works hard every day. And it's that optimism, I think, that keeps him going. So I wish I could be more like him. Well, well, I, I I suffer from it too, and that's the reason I a I'm blessed to be able to do this show two hours a day, talk to the audience, and talk to great guests like you, Daniel. That's how I keep my spirits up. So you're my surrogate, Ron Paul. Think of that. 
Well, well, thank. I don't. I don't know if you'll thank me, but but um, but I know the feeling. You know, and, and I talk to a lot of people. My, my my friends like Phil Giraldi, and we all talk about how one of the problems is they want to keep us apart. You know, they want to keep us from communicating, uh, and uh, and it can be difficult to communicate. And that's one of the reasons why we do our conferences. We were doing three this year. Um, people have got to get together and exchange notes and get to know each other. And, you know, get beyond labels and just, uh, you know, find like-minded friends, business partners, you know, who knows, wives or husbands, you never know. <laughs> no, amen. Now, now, tell us about those conferences you mentioned. One coming up on, on September 3rd in Washington, D.C., and the title is Anatomy of a Police State. And we're going to talk about a lot of things we've talked about today here. And basically how, you know, uh, an aggressive foreign policy overseas, uh, an aggressive Patriot Act, how they've all come home to roost and turned America into an emerging police state. And so we've got some great speakers lined up that we're going to be announcing soon. Um, but we always we always put on a great event. We always sell all our tickets. And, you know, we'd love to see your listeners there as well. That's why I had you talk about it. So thanks, Daniel. But tell people where they can find out more. RonPaulInstitute.org. There's a link up there uh, to get tickets to the uh, event. And also for young people, if you're an upper division undergrad or a grad student, there is a link to apply to be a Ron Paul Scholar. We have an all-day Ron Paul Scholar seminar the day before the conference. And those that are chosen to be scholars then are invited to come to the conference for free, come to a reception afterward. Uh, and everything, thanks to our generous donors, uh, is available on scholarship for those that we accept as Ron Paul scholars. So we are trying to reach out and help develop the next generation of freedom and peace-loving people. Now, we have about two minutes left. So talk about one of the big issues that the country's been dealing with, the Supreme Court overturning Rose versus Wade. Because I never know classical libertarians, whether, as you know, libertarians come down all over the map on abortion. What, what has been the, your show's take on it? What thoughts have you had that no one else is talking about? Dr. Paul has written, wrote the book on it, really, and it's when he was first uh, an internist uh, as an OB, in an OBGYN, and he watched a baby being delivered, uh, born alive that was supposed to be aborted and watched the baby die in the corner and everyone pretended that the baby wasn't there. So that had a profound, profound influence on Dr. Paul's view of what life is. Uh, and so I think the Supreme Court made the right decision. I personally happen to be absolutely opposed to abortion, but I think they might made the right decision for a different reason than that, because these issues belong to the states. Um, more power that we can devolve away from D.C., the better and more free the country is. If you, you know, if you want to do things uh, in, that are acceptable in places like California, uh, that's fine. But there should also be places where uh, they're viewed as unacceptable, uh, and that should devolve down to communities. So it's a step in the right direction in that respect, I think. And I think that under Roe v. Wade, abortion had become something that people didn't think about. And the, what it became acceptable for abortion across the country had drifted into an area that a lot of people would not agree with if they knew about it. But, Daniel, great appearance as usual. Have a great weekend, sir. Thanks so much for having me on, Lee. Take care.
Okay, and say hi to Dr. Paul and tell him I, I put in a good word for him with Johnny Rotten. Daniel McAdams, check out the Ron Paul Institute for more information about their upcoming conferences and his podcast. We'll take a short break and then we'll be back with the backstory. back live from the empire of lies the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines i'm lee stranahan investigative journalist and this is backstory fantastic and fun appearance with daniel adams would you agree with that rod it was so fun that Rod. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I would agree, Lee. He has a lot of uh, optimism, like like Ron Paul, and uh, it's good to hear that we still have optimism in this country. Yeah, because I think it's important. And by the way, the other headline that I did not get to, but Joe Biden, speaking of abortion, passed an executive order on abortion that I don't think really does much. Am I wrong in thinking that, Rod? No, you're right on that, Lee. Um, it's not going to do much. It's just, again, it's virtue signaling. The, this is what we've been dealing with this last 12, 13 years. It's just virtue signaling. Now, coming up this hour, Carmine Sabia. And is it possible Carmine should be only, or is he at the half hour? At the half hour. Okay, because I'd heard a rumor. You heard that rumor too, right, Rod? <laughs> I did. So I just, I didn't want Carmine sitting there and then I didn't know it, so I didn't introduce him. So taking your calls, 202-521-1320. And Rod, say the last, give us the last boom of the week. You're listening, you're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. So... Yeah, I, I would say that was virtual signaling, but it's the top story on all the press is the executive order on abortion. And they always talk about it, including Fox, the same way. Do you, do you know what he's doing, Rod? He's protecting rights. He's protecting the rights of women after, it's weird. Even Fox News describes as protecting abortion rights. Well, not really. And I I resent that definition. And that's it. Did you know that story about Ron Paul being in the delivery room? Had you heard that before? Yeah, I had heard that actually before, Lee. I think about uh, maybe about two, three years ago. I think I saw it on the on his show, the report, where he talked about it. So yeah, I, I did know, and you know, it's a very horrific scene to when you end the life of a baby, and a lot of doctors have become desensitized to that. And that's a whole other topic we could talk about. I, no, no, and, and they don't. The people who are pro-abortion, and let's face it. They are not pro-choice at this point. The people on that side are pro-abortion. 
they've been they've been unmasked. Would you agree that they are very clearly in favor of abortion? Oh yeah, Lee. Um, it's definitely something that uh, is being used as a contraceptive. People don't want to say that outright and just say, hey, you know, uh, you know, uh, the fact that it goes both ways because men uh, take advantage of it as well. You know, I've I've known some people, known some guys who, um, dip, you know, multiple women having abortions is kind of, you know, as you get older, it kind of, you know, you're hearing that it just takes something away from you, I guess. You know, I don't like hearing that, but, you know. Right. No, 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 I, I, I don't either. And where, where I changed my opinion was when I, I was looking into the issue and I found a story in Chicago, I believe, uh, an anti-abortion group had put up a billboard and the billboard was in a black neighborhood and the billboard said, you could be aborting the next Obama, something like that, with a picture of a black baby. And they were urging, obviously, and, and it was pro-Obama in a sense. Do you see what I'm saying? It was saying to black mothers, the baby you're aborting could be the next president of the United States, you know, or, or down the road. Probably not next. That'd probably be a little young. But uh, and this pro-choice group had them take down the billboard. They and the, the the billboard wouldn't restrict anyone's rights. It was simply saying, before you abort your baby, think about who you could be aborting. Do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're saying, Lee. And today that would be considered racist or bigoted for you to, to say that. And uh, and, and Althea King uh, was involved in that. And I talked to her about it. But I, I found it amazing. In other words, the idea that even urging someone using a billboard to not have an abortion because you th should think about the consequences of of an abortion. The life that you end could be Barack Obama or whoever. They weren't allowed to do that. They weren't allowed to have that message. And I found that very anti-choice. And, and if a, a woman could have seen that billboard and still got an abortion, she could have seen the billboard and disregarded the message or said, I know, but I don't care, but not this baby because I'm not having it, right? But they wouldn't even allow that. And a group went and they got the group, they forced them to take down the billboard. They went after the billboard company. And as soon as I saw that, I knew that they were not pro-choice, they were pro-abortion. Because I don't see what possible argument is there unless you're fighting for abortions and not giving women information. By the way, if, if a group had put up a billboard to counter it, if a pro-abortion group had put up, you know, 
the the baby you abort could be the next Charles Manson, could be the next Hitler. So get an abortion, free coupon. You know, scan this QR code, something like that. I would not be, I would be opposed to the message, but I would not try to get the billboard taken down. I would go, okay, that's a, that's an argument. Because it's the same argument, basically, but in reverse. It's saying the baby you abort could be someone horrible, which that's equally true. You don't know. But people should be allowed to hear both sides of the argument. And that, of course, is, I've said, I've always been a free speech person ever since I was 12 years old. Free speech has been an important issue for me for exactly that reason. I think when you let people hear both sides and then make up their own mind, they come to a better decision than when you keep one side from them. And I should think that's obvious, but it's not obvious to a lot of people. A lot of the woke people, they're about shutting down argument. And this is what bothers me. I'm opposed to people shutting down argument, and I see it too often. And that's why on, on the show, even if I have guests I don't agree with, I try to let them express their opinion in. Because I've had people express opinions I don't agree with on the show, and I'm fine with that. And I'm also fine sometimes with pushing back against that, because I believe freedom of speech applies to me too. But the point is, I don't like ending speech, and I don't like shutting down, or and I don't like especially dishonestly representing someone's speech. I don't like it when people say a person makes an argument. The whole, a lot of the woke thing, for instance, if you're opposed to immigration because you think when immigrants come in illegally without a work visa, they have a tendency to lower wages and worsen working conditions for everybody. The response to that is not, that's racist. Racists are pretty good at saying racist things. And if their argument is, those dirty stinking Mexicans shouldn't come in, and that's a, a pretty weak racist argument. But it's they, but some people think that. Have you seen that, Rod? Yeah, no, definitely. There are some people who are um, xenophobic to uh, other people from other nations moving here, period, not even uh, legally or illegally. And so, so make the argument. If that's let them, let them say that. If that's what they think, let them make that argument, and they'll end up looking bad. But if if you say there's an economic reason not to support anyone coming in legally, to uh, accuse that argument of being racist is dishonest. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, Lou. And is it, do, do we have any, any calls online? 
because I didn't see that last time. No calls. Okay, that's fine. I, I'm fine with no calls, but if you want to call 202-521-1320. Uh, there's not much to say about the Shinzo Abe assassination, except we, they have a person who did it. We don't know the whole story yet. And anytime you, yeah, go ahead, Rod. Uh, Japan's very uh, gun control, very heavily gun controlled. But what, what what do you have to say about the fact that that guy looks like he had a makeshift shotgun or like a make makeshift sawed-off shotgun? And it's it was effective. That's one thing I can say about it. But uh, you know, we we've talked a lot about what's going on in Sri Lanka or what's going on in the Netherlands. And with this last thing in Japan, this is sure to be, it's already shocking. And you've had world leaders from Trump who, uh, Abe was friends with Trump. They used to like playing golf together. Leaders from Biden to Trump to Vladimir Putin, despite the conflict about these islands that are off the coast of Russia and Japan, that Russia's been involved in with Japan. And even though Japan was one of the countries that sanctioned Russia after the Ukrainian conflict, Russia down the line from Lavrov to Putin said things about how shocked they are. But this has got to be really shocking for Japan. Japan really hasn't had any political assassinations since World War II. Right? So it's going to imagine the impact if anybody in Japan, and it's another example of the chaos being unleashed on the world right now, whether it's Sri Lanka where people are chasing down rich people in the street or rather the Dutch farmers. And yeah, we, we saw the, uh, the 16 year old who got shot, who got shot by the, at, by the police. He's, uh, come out and done an interview, you know, and he was just pretty much asking why would they shoot at me? I, I wasn't posing any harm to anybody. And I think that th- this Abe assassination tends to add to the feeling that the wheels are coming off the world. And that's kind of what Sharif was hinting at earlier. But I think for a lot of people, and let me tell you, buckle up, because it's it's obviously going to get worse. Germany, it's obvious things are going to get, get worse in Germany. Right. You're seeing that, correct? Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, they're already having major energy problems now, and it's not even close to their uh, peak winter. So um, I can't even imagine when it gets colder. And I've said this. Environmentalism is it's not my opinion. Environmentalism is a lot of the cause of the riots. I pointed out the Yellow Vest movement was about environmental regulations. 
and the Dutch farmers crisis is about environmental regulations. So whatever your opinion on the environment, it's beyond argument that's leading to dissatisfaction and riots among citizens. Do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, no, for sure, Lee. And um, the one thing that I'm kind of looking out for, uh, if you see the latest Batman movie, they um, they use social media and they use the anger of other citizens in Gotham to uh, to pretty much uh, do anarchy because, you know, the politicians are corrupt. So I'm just looking out in the media, you know, social media, making, you know, to see if there's going to be any copycats in other countries and or, or whatnot. Because, you know, young people, this seems like a young guy, he seemed like fairly young uh, from the pictures. Um, you know, young young people now seem more impressionable than ever with social media. And for sure, a lot of that messaging is out there already. The Batman is a good example. The various variants of Batman, such as Joker, which is basically taxi driver with a superhero, right? Yeah. Joker, yeah. yeah. And so uh, Pendulette from Penn & Teller made a good point years ago because a lot of people were talking about the influence of art on violence and often less people think this is a new phenomenon it's not it's not just nowadays and not just current art he, he pen made the point that all art has a tendency to maybe influence, if you're going to kill someone, you tend to, I wouldn't know, I've never killed anyone. But what he said was that people who kill people tend to disassociate from themselves. They don't want to see themselves as doing it. So a lot of people have used the Bible as inspiration. There was a guy in uh, New Mexico a few years ago. It's a horrible crime, but he was inspired by the Bible to cut his son's head off and throw it out the window at the police car. But you've heard lots of people use the Bible as inspiration, right, Rod? Yeah, and other yeah. other other religions as well. They use te they take uh, text out of context and try to act on that. Um, so yeah, no, we, we that, hear about that, it a lot. And so if you get rid of any one, so saying the solution, if if somebody does something and they are influenced by the Joker, let's say, and then people go, well, we ought to ban stuff like the Batman. Good luck, because there's no amount of stuff you can ban. If you just ban it because it's inspirational, you'll end up banning everything. So unfortunately, what specific thing influences somebody might be, you know, John David Hinckley. Did you see Hinckley, who tried to kill Reagan, was recently making statements about gun control? <laughs> yeah, I actually saw that today, Lee. Yeah, it was on the press. Who'd ask, who'd ask about gun control? Let's see what your opinions are, John Wilkes Booth. What do you think? 
But Hinckley has been in the media lately making statements about gun control. Remember what Hinckley was motivated by? Ooh, Jody no, Foster. I, oh, there you go. Okay, there you go. Jody Foster. And Mark David Chapman, who killed John Lennon, was inspired by Catcher in the Rye. And so pointing out a specific inspiration is not helpful because they always find something. People always find something. And as soon as you tell stories, you know, because in a sense, the religious, the Bible and, you know, the Quran, in a sense, I'm not trying to say if you believe they have divine inspiration, that's fine. But they're also stories, right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, uh, Adam and Eve is uh, if Adam and Eve was a real story, we'd be all cousins. You know what I mean? So it's just right. uh, uh, I think the allegory. I think that's what the story is supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm not saying even fake stories. You can believe that they're real, but you can be inspired by a real story as well. So stories, storytelling is basic to human nature. And you're always going to have stories be inspiring to people for violence. But also stories are inspiring to people for acts of kindness and heroism too. So there could be someone who's inspired by rap. No, I was thinking, I'm trying to think of examples. But I know people who were, I have a friend who was inspired to get into politics by Tupac. And the song changes. And she was inspired by that. And Pac, you know, it wasn't all fun and games with Pac. But anyone you think, Johnny Cash, if we're talking about gangster rap, Johnny Cash had songs that were sung from the perspective of killers and prisoners. But he also had songs like The Man in Black, which are very inspirational. Listen to it if you haven't heard it. But Folsom Prison and saying he shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. You know, that's essentially gangster rap with a twang. And so art has the ability to be inspirational for acts of good or bad. And I ultimately put down, like, who's responsible for this kid in Illinois who went up on a roof with a rifle dressed as a woman? Which I don't take to mean anything, but he was, right? He was dressed as a woman. Yeah, no, he was. There's video video of that. And I don't think that was a trans issue. It was whatever. But who's responsible for that ultimately? He is. And what I was talking about before about the celebrity culture, Rod and I were saying that Instagram and TikTok, I think that's a, a big factor as anything. Did yeah, you no, agree, I would, Rod? 
No, I would agree, Lee. This I think it's you know I say it's one of the the um, nothing's nothing's new in human history today besides the internet because I believe the the speed of the internet and, and information and being able to talk to people it's the it's the biggest variable in human history to me that you know uh, we don't really talk about too much we kind of just you know just plan it in our lives and then expected it to work out and we like I said a lot of people have come narcissistic because of things like Instagram and TikTok and you know, what they have to say is the most important thing or their perspective is more important than the, you know, whatever. But so, yeah. And I've talked before about the video doser and my early background in video production. And I've been in, and I foresaw things like YouTube coming and I used to write editorials about it in promoting desktop video, which is the ability when I was coming up, you couldn't make a film. When I was a 12-year-old, there were no video cameras that were available. That's why I went to work for the TV show I worked for when I was 13, 14. The reason I went to it is the only way to get your hands on production equipment was to go work for a TV show. And so I was interested in that. And one of the things we used to talk about back in the early days of video production is that in the future, your favorite TV show will be produced by someone you know. And that's somewhat happened in the age of YouTube. But many of the people in the mainstream media said, well, when there's a thousand TV stations or an infinite number of TV stations, which we were predicting back then, because back when I was doing this stuff, there's still four TV stations. That was it. Cable didn't even have, there wasn't the Gall Channel on cable. And people would often say, well, when anyone can produce TV, will TV be better or worse? And Tim, the owner of the company, used to say, the answer is there'll be more. And that's the right answer. Now we're in an age when anyone can do journal journalism. So is journalism better or worse? And believe it or not, it's not worse. There was no good period of journalism. And I've looked into it. And if you remember it nostalgically, it's you your mind misremembering the past. There was never a good period of journalism. But what there is now is more awareness of bad journalism. I would say right now, there's some of the best journalism being produced that's ever been produced in the history of journalism. But I will say a lot of it gets put down because I think that telling the truth about groups like Skull and Bones and the influence of the Rothschilds. That used to be the stuff of rumor. Now guys like David Icke and Alex Jones are presenting the truth that's been around for decades, hundreds of years. The truth. Do you think the truth has yet to come out really about Skull and Bones, Rod? Use that as an example. How long has that existed? Um, at least, well, no, over a hundred years for sure, right? That's right. And 
Do we know yet specifically how two Skull and Bones members, John Kerry and George H.W. Bush, came to get their party's nominations? Do we really know the story about that, Rod? Do you think? Uh, no, and let's not forget that uh, Robert Mueller went to school with John Kerry since he became the FBI director right after 9-11. So, you know, all these connections, uh, there's big gaps and that we, we haven't uh, weaved that web yet. Right. And so I think there's a lot of news about history that's still to come. And, and more people than ever know the truth about that, but or, or at least know part of the truth, because Back in 1950 or 60, if you brought up Skull and Bones, it never came up in mainstream media, right? It never got to a to a big audience ever. Yeah, no, I don't think CBS or ABC would uh, air anything about that back then. And now we're in the age where the truth tellers are persecuted. If you want to say Alex Jones is wrong about this point, A or B, that's fine. But admit he's right about C, D, and E. And that's the people who attack him never do that. And the people who attack Ike or people who attack me or the people who attack Julian Assange point out the stuff these people tell the truth about. Don't just criticize. And that's, we live in an age where truth tellers are persecuted. And I believe this is an age we have to pass through. But I believe we will pass through it. So I remain optimistic. We have Carmine on? Okay, let's take a short break. And when we're back, we'll be happy to be joined by our own Monday truth teller on a Friday, closing out the week with our friend, the great. Carmine Sabia on the backstory. We are back on the liberty-loving oasis, the backstory. And we are on the radio in the capital of the Empire of Lies, Washington, D.C., 105.5 FM, AM, 1390. Now we are joined by great friend of the show, our Monday co-host, and we missed him because of the 4th of July. He was out, I'm sure, lighting up firecrackers and kids' hot dogs. Carmine Sabia. Carmine, welcome. Lee, how are you? I bring to you breaking news, literally just breaking 10 minutes ago. Break me. Elon Musk uh, has said that his advisors on Friday sent a letter to Twitter formally notifying the company that he is terminating the deal. That is from Bloomberg News. There were rumors about that happening, but and so I just want to say, I just want to say, end of quote. Repeat the line. Yeah, and we'll see. We'll see where it goes from here, because it could come up again. This could be a tactic. I think it's strategic. Does that make sense? 
I think it's strategic. Yes, because as you know, if if you followed Donald Trump's Art of the Deal or the Kenny Rogers song, The Gambler, you know <laughs> sometimes you've got to walk away from the table, right? Yeah, well, I mean, he's overpaying for it now based on the original purchase price. Exactly. And yep. they've made it easy to deal. If you went to buy a car from somebody and you said, I want to see the mileage, and they said, no, we painted that over. You can't see how many miles this car has. Yeah. Them hiding yeah. how many real users they have is equivalent of painting over the odometer. Would you yeah. agree with that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I get, I well, get Carmine, why. Well, yeah, I get thank why. Thank you for that want. breaking news. And and okay. Carmine, we're glad we could close out the week with you because we. The good thing about holidays is we don't have to work. Me in particular. The bad thing is completely we, we missed Carmine my Mondays. I was completely Wait, off July fourth. I was completely off July fourth. I didn't have to write, so I took July fifth off too. As my first dude in five years, it was the first time I took two days off in a row. And did you appreciate your freedom more than ever? I always appreciate my freedom. Uh, I tell you what, it was nice that one week. It's not something I'd want to do all the time. I miss work. Like if breaking news happens and I'm not working, it drives me crazy. Yeah, I hear you. I feel the yeah. same way. And of course, I don't, my days off, I don't say I'm not listening to any news. No, me neither. I'm still, right. It's an addiction. People don't understand if you're not in a position. Like I've had girls, you know, over the house or whatever, and, you know, we're having dinner together. And then after dinner, I'm like, I, I got, you know, the news on. And they're like, you know, this is your day job. I'm like, this is 24-7 for me. I'm like, election, like election night to me is like the Super Bowl to a normal person, you know? Yeah, like it, I, I didn't notify my girlfriend about that. After she moved in, after I got out of the hospital, I uh, after a few weeks, I realized I should probably warn her. So I sat yeah. down and I said, I appreciate that my life is freaking weird. And it may Correct. seem like I'm laying here. Because do you do this, Carmine? My life consists of listening to the news and then laying on a couch and thinking about it. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I'm in bed in my case, but yeah. And then thinking about how I'm going to report it or what angles I'm going to go or where I want to research after I heard what I heard. It's it's very weird, but that's my entertainment also. And it's not entertainment. Most people don't sit around watching the news as much as we do. And see, we're friends with people like us, people that we work with. And our circle, that's normal life. But when you go to your other friends like Oh man, I, I can't, I can't keep hanging out. I, I, I'm missing the news. Like they're like, what? You know, they don't, they don't comprehend that. They want to watch the game or the, this or that. We want to watch the news, and it's, it's really weird. It's a weird way of life, if you're not part of it. But to us, it's, it's gigantic. Like, and I'll give you an example too. American audiences, Lee. One thing they don't really care about. I'll be very honest with you is international news. They don't care. They don't care about the war in Ukraine. They 
don't really care that Shinzo Abe was assassinated. They don't care. And I can tell you that because I look at the analytics every day of what stories get clicked on. And I'm telling you right now, if Elon Musk makes a tweet about one of his farts or a, a, a prime minister gets assassinated, Elon Musk's story is going to do three times as good as the prime minister getting assassinated. Well, the other thing, too, that I talked to her about was, and I'm going to give you an example she never made, but let's say you're talking to a friend of yours and you mentioned the Elon Musk thing and your yeah. friend says, I don't like that guy. He's a weirdo. Yeah. Most people, that's all they need to think about Elon Musk. But if if someone says to you they don't like Elon Musk, he's a weirdo, to you, Carmine, who covers this from a news perspective, that is a useless statement. Do you understand Correct. what I'm saying? Correct. Yeah. And yeah. most people can make those statements and you don't you don't need to say most people, if if you're a normal person and a friend of yours says they Elon Musk is a weirdo, you could say, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Or no, I don't agree. But that's it. And walk away. Correct. And then walk right. away from that. And so or how about this? Like, if you talk about what the implications of the assassination of Shinzo Abe could have globally, right? How many people, Lee, how many people in our lives can you and I sit down and actually have that conversation with in our circle of even friends that are outside of work? How many people do you know personally that you can have a conversation like that with? For me, it's not many. No, right. No, it's it's not many. And and it's not their fault. The no, people who it's not the job. And the people who say Elon Musk is a weirdo or whatever. It's not their fault for not having, for only having a shallow level. And I'm not insulting it, but no. it's literally only a surface shallow level. Most people, they have shallow opinions about Biden or Trump. Correct. Does that make sense? Because they don't know all the nuance, all the intricacies, all the, the facts of the situation with both men, their foreign policies, their domestic policies. They don't know. And you know, and I don't blame them because like you said, if somebody is, if you're a mechanic, if I go to a mechanic and a mechanic says your blah, 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 blah is broken. I don't know what they're talking about. So I'm like, okay, we'll fix it. You know, they can't have that conversation with me. I'm not prepared for it in the same way. A lot of our friends are not prepared. Here's the difference, Lee, that scares me though, because they're so tricky. unprepared. Oh, God, and it's also tricky because. As, as someone who does the radio show, I have to be prepared to talk about it. Correct. And so I have to have an angle extemporaneously and seemingly spontaneously. Correct. And I have to talk with some degree of specificity. If I came on the radio show, show and said, if you'd said that to me about Musk, I said, he's weird. I don't like him. And that's all I had to say. You wouldn't have a show. Right. Yeah. Maybe I should no. try that. <laughs> Here's the frightening thing to me, though, man, is that, yes, I don't expect our, our friends outside of work to have the level of knowledge about politics that we do. But they do have an equal say in who gets elected. And that kind of frightens me. 
So, you know, when the Democrats talk about, and I love what happened in Wisconsin today with the ending of the drop boxes there, what frightens me, people say, we want more people to well, vote. We'll talk about that, because I've mentioned that that's, that was a big court ruling in Wisconsin. Yeah. Expl explain people, that. Well, okay, so when people say to me, Carmine, uh, don't you want more people to vote? And I say, no. And they're like, oh, see, you want to suppress the vote? No, 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 no. I don't want to suppress the vote. But if you don't care enough about voting to request an absentee ballot, fill out the instructions properly by reading, reading them and then filling it out properly and then returning it properly. If you cannot do those simple steps, then to me, you don't care enough about voting and you should not vote. If the, if the ballot has to be mailed to you against your will that you didn't ask for, and you're like, ah, the hell with it, I'll fill this out, drop it off at that drop box on the way to work. It's the most apathetic vote. And I don't want people who are apathetic voting if I can help it. I, I wouldn't pass a law to stop it, but there should be some degree of effort in voting. Go to the poll, ask for your ballot. There has to be some degree of effort. When you have the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest informed people casting a ballot that is equally to yours and mine, it waters down, in my opinion, the vote. Because when you and I vote, we're carefully considering the positions of the candidates, their policies, what they've done in the past. We're carefully considering that. These people saw a couple snips on TV and are like, I'm voting against that guy. So, no, I don't think the vote should carry the same weight. I don't think if you if you don't care enough to request an absentee ballot, you should not get one. So what happened in Wisconsin today is that the the Supreme Court of the state of Wisconsin correctly ruled, correctly ruled that it is not in a, a part of the Constitution of the state of Wisconsin to have these drop boxes. In fact, you have to return it in person or to the post office. You cannot just drop it in a mailbox and have a third party do it. Now, what happened was in 2020, these these attorneys generals and these lower courts and, and, and they went around the legislatures of the states. They went around their state constitutions and violated the law with what they did. And in all truth, because of that, yeah, the truth is the 2020 election should have been thrown out because there were severe violations of states, constitutions and state laws. The courts refused to step in and it is what it is. I'm not relitigating 2020. But we do want to stop that from happening again, because what happened is the Democrats said, well, there was a pandemic. It was extreme circumstances. We had to take extreme action. Now they're saying, you know, we're going to keep that extreme action in place. And the Republicans are saying no, because Democrats know one thing, Lee, and I don't mean to insult anybody in your audience who is a Democrat. I'm sure there's a lot of very smart Democrats. I know there are. But Democrats not have many, a though. huge well, not many. And the Democrats have a huge advantage and they know it. They'll never say it, but they know it. They have a huge advantage with uneducated, uninformed people. Now, why is that? Because they'll, they'll always point to Trump saying, I love the undereducated or, oh, well, we, uh, there's more college degrees in the Democrat Party. And all that is true. But there is a large, gigantic, mega part of the voting base that literally gets their news from Jimmy Kimmel and Stephen Colbert, and they're voting for Democrats because they have no idea of the issues. They don't know what's going on. They're basically doing what celebrities are telling them to do. Yeah, Democrats want those people voting. You'll notice the only people that want those people voting are Democrats. The only people that say, let's lower the voting age to 16 
are Democrats. Why? They because the less you know, the more they want you to vote. Because they, you know what? Here, Lee, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. When the abortion thing happened, there was a celebrity who I was arguing with on Twitter, and she was, you know, her fans were telling her, "Yes, Queen," and you're knocking these guys down, right? She wasn't knocking anybody down. And, I, and we argued back and forth, and I said, all of your arguments are emotional. They're not based on the law. They're not based on the Constitution. They are emotional arguments. They're not rational. By definition of being emotional, they're not rational. So <clears throat> eventually she just stopped responding to me. But the point is this. Yes, if you can get people to vote based on emotion, Democrats will win because Democrats live in fantasy land. Republicans tend to live in reality. Not that Republicans are all great shakes all the time, but they're the better of the of the two options. Well, let me drop some science on you in one second about this. That I've been researching historically that I think that I didn't know before. So I'm I'm guessing you probably don't know it, and I think it'll make stuff make a lot more sense. But before I do that, the crew here at the backstory also loves and respects you, Carmine. So to show their love, they have, they're keeping it in a cage right now. It's one, it's a boom. They've, we don't normally run those at the end of the show, but they put a boom in the box. It's a boom box. (laughs) As for you. So as soon as you say the name of the show, you watch, they'll release a boom. Okay, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the backstory. See, it was uh, all you, raring to go. You could have got me a cake. I like cake. I I, I owe you steak as it is. You steak still owe me my cake. Andrew Cuomo steak, man. Yeah, my Andrew Cuomo steak, right? I know, but I know it. So, so here's sorry, the history. I get a about things, so I rant. I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. Uh, so... I was studying the history of fascism and its roots in Marxism, and it's confusing. But you're you're an admirer, obviously, because you're an Italian of Mussolini, right? Wait, what? I'm an admirer? No, I'm not an admirer of Mussolini. Okay, but, Mussol- but, but you're, you remember Mussolini, right? Well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how old you think I am. But I I, I, I I do know of Mussolini. Yes, I'm a student of history. I'm sure there are old guys playing bocce and drinking espresso down the street with little Probably. pictures of him in a locket, right? I would, in New York. I, I would love to be playing bocce with them. Uh, not a lot of Mussolini fans among the old Italians, no. Okay, but Mussolini, famous Italian fascist. That's the joke I'm making because I know Carmine's not a fan. He was influenced by a guy named George Sorrell. Sorrell, S-O-R-E-L, one L. And Sorrell was a Marxist writer who wrote a book on violence. But one of the things Sorrell realized, and one of the reasons he admired Marx, is he said, we're in the age of the masses. He realized that in the the late 19th century, we're in the age of the masses. And let me make that point. 
back 200, 300 years ago or a thousand years ago, Carmine, if you want to affect government, you affected the king, right? Or maybe one of the people direct access to the king. But if Correct. you wanted to influence government, you had to affect maybe 20, maybe 100 people at most. Does that make sense? Yes, correct. Because if you convince the king to do something, it's law. Or if you convince the people with direct access to the king, it's law. In the age of democracy, you now need to influence thousands or millions of people to affect the law. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Truth. Yeah, it's true. And whether that's good or not, I'm in favor of democracy and people having more power, but it's different. It, it, it changed from an age when you had an influence. I think in the age of kings, we had one, you know, a small group of very powerful people who I don't think, I think that was bad. But nowadays you have to affect millions of people. And here's the problem with that. If you're gonna affect a million people, on an issue, some of them are going to be affected by their emotions more than others. Correct. Some of them, if you're trying to convince people to buy a beverage you, you're selling, let's say, or a product you're making, a cigarette brand, let's say, some people are going to be convinced by cold hard facts. Buy this beverage, it's tasty. And good for you. This beverage will improve your health. But most beverages don't improve your health. They are bad. They're sugar water. Right? Correct. And so the way you get millions of people to buy Coke is you appeal to their emotion. You show a picture of a pretty girl smiling on a hot summer day. Beer, as an example. And you're hoping. Right. And so that same philosophy has to apply to democracy. Does that make sense? It does. And whether it's good or not, I'm, and do you know what I think part of the difference in Republicans? A lot of Republicans are urban people. Oh, sorry, forgive me, exactly the opposite. They're rural people. Like they farm or they live in the country and if they, 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 many of them, li, you know, lived in a part of the country where you go out and you chop the head off a chicken if you're going to eat it, right? Correct. That requires them to be more realistic about things. Just realistic. And it's not even more honest, although I, I think it seems like it. It seems like more honest, but it's really more realistic. They can't, if if you're out in the, you know, if you have bears and wolves that live in the woods around you, you can try to be unrealistic and you'll end up dead, right? Correct. So I think a lot of Republicans are more realistic about life because the things they do for a living, you know. So, so can I tell you what I what I told my brother that he absolutely loves? 
Yeah. Something I said that, and he 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 said he will tell everybody this now because I said it. I say Republican. I've been saying this since I was a teenager. I said Republicans see the world. No, Democrats see the world the way they want it to be, and they govern as if they're already there. Republicans see the world as it actually is and govern accordingly. No, I I agree. I think it's a good way to put it. It's it's great. And I'm going to steal that from you. But uh, and that's why I think you see a lot of minorities that the Democrats took for granted were were theirs. If you live in the if you live in inner city, wherever, Baltimore, Chicago, Philadelphia. You can't be unrealistic about the the drive bys that kill people every weekend. I, I think there's I think that more people are realizing the Democrats promised them this utopia, but they can't deliver it because at the, at the end of the day, they're unrealistic, for instance, about crime. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. And that's 100%. why some of the work well, stuff fails. It's it's because why a guy, people aren't paid. Yeah, go ahead, Carmine. Well, I'm just saying it's why a guy gets charged with murder for defending himself. Right. And and the the the, the people like Chesaboudin who are in favor of abolishing prisons. Do you know who doesn't want prisons abolished? Yeah, black people, people in high crime areas. Right. Exactly right, because they're like, they know what would happen, but they're not given a voice by the white liberal Democrats, many of whom teach it. And this is why people who work and teach at colleges are often, it's not that they're dumb, it's that they're unrealistic. Unrealistic. Because they can deal with the world of theory, where communism sounds good, right? Absolutely. Let's say you, Carmine. I, absolutely. Now, I'll give you this one question, Lee, before we get off the uh, air here. Um, yes, sir. Has anybody given any thought to, and I'm sure, I, I, I assume it's not the case, but has anybody actually given any thought to if this gunman was actually working for communist China? that we would have a Franz Ferdinand situation on our hands here? A lot of people have tried to put that out. But I got to say this. China is, and it's a longer topic, but China is a boogeyman. People's problems aren't China. And so Jacques Posobiec was out promoting a theory immediately. But is is there any proof that the guy's getting connected to China? I'm sure no, lots none. of people thought of it. None. My thought was, my, I just had a straight what if thought. Yeah, I'm you sure know, some people have thought of it. No, but I, I think the danger is in jumping to jumping to a theory. And it's politically expedient for a lot of people. Agreed? Yes, definitely. 
Definitely. And by and the way, this, this realism thing with the war, we were talking about this earlier. Vladimir Putin is more realistic about the war. He's been realistic about it. And that's one of the reasons he, he rubs so many liberals and neocons the wrong way. It's because he's not running out of ammo. He's winning the war. I, I know. I laugh when our, I, I laugh when our, uh, our media says it any other way. Yes, and uh, Carmine, what are you working on next for for your writing? What's coming up for you? It, it's just daily, man. We see what's going on right now. Brittany Griner is a huge story right now, so. You know, she she correctly pleaded guilty. I think a lot of people, you know, talk about her as this victim, but she broke the law. I mean, you broke the law in another country. You have to, you know, a lot of these celebrities think they're above the law here and then they're above the law abroad. Well, you might be above the law here, but you're not above the law in other countries. They don't care who you are. And I should point, I pointed out, it's not just other countries. There are states, there are plenty of states where she would have been imprisoned for coming into the state if her bag had been searched. She would have been arrested. Plenty of states in America, not just countries, right? Absolutely. You can't just flout the law because you think you're a celebrity and, or you are a celebrity and you can do whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. So she's not a victim here. I'd like to see her come home. I think it's a minor infraction. I don't think she should do 10 years. Hopefully a deal can be worked out, but, uh, I bet she wishes she could hear the, the national anthem right now. Right. That's exactly right. Great job, Carmine. Always a pleasure talking to you. Have a great weekend. Carmine Sabia. And thanks to Daniel McAdams for being with us in the first hour. And thanks for the great calls. We love liberty and we'll be back on Monday on The Backstory.